Our scripture reading today comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Listen for God's word. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. I said, Woe is me. I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would show us your presence within it on this day. Open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to your message. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Seventy-five percent of churchgoers say that sermon content is the most important thing about worship. It's the largest predictor of whether someone will return to a church or not, and when someone's looking for a new church, a good sermon is at the top of the list of priorities. No pressure, Pastor Garrett or Emily. Our own denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, lifts up the importance of preaching. The word proclaimed is at the center of what we do in worship and what we say the call of pastors is. Sanctuaries like this often have the pulpit front and center showcased. Presbyterian seminaries are known for their preaching departments and requirements. And even if you look closely at the logo for the Presbyterian Church, PCUSA, you'll see that it is a cross with hidden images right in plain sight. And at the center of that, making up the cross, is a pulpit with a Bible laid open. Now, I can resonate with this importance of preaching. When I moved to a new city in my 20s, I began looking for a church and went around to four or five, and I found great people, welcoming people in all of the churches, some more than others. I found great issues of social justice that were taken up in the churches, some more than others. But without really naming it or necessarily knowing, I was after a good sermon. And looking back, I realized when I found one, I stopped church shopping. 
You know, Garrett and I are here today, are married because of this emphasis in preaching within the Presbyterian Church. As many of you have heard the story, we met in a preaching class in seminary in a small cohort where we got to spend a whole semester listening to and critiquing one another's sermons. And we didn't really like each other's preaching, by the way. I think it is God's divine humor that we would end up sharing a pulpit and having to listen to each other week after week after week. Churchgoers care about sermons. Presbyterians love this part of worship. It's where we hope to gain wisdom for our lives, where we hope to feel inspiration and guidance, and where maybe we hope to encounter God. Our scripture story today happens in the context of a worship service as well. Isaiah has gone into the temple in Jerusalem to worship. He has gone in not necessarily knowing what is to come, what a significant encounter he would soon have. For him, it was just another day, like we come to church on just another Sunday. And like other worshipers that day in the temple, Isaiah was probably a little preoccupied. The text starts off by telling us that this was a big year. There was a lot going on. It was the year that a long-lasting king, King Uzziah, had died. He'd been ruling for nearly half a century. And at his death, there was transition and uncertainty about what would happen in both political and religious realms. And so the people are uneasy. Isaiah comes in to the temple to worship, perhaps a little distracted, but once there, something changes. He has a vision and an encounter with God. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, and it was so majestic and amazing that just the hem, just the very edge of the robe of the Lord filled the entire space. It was awe-inspiring. Fiery, heavenly attendants were flying around and singing praise, holy, holy, holy. And then the foundations of the temple began to shake, and the air is filled with smoke. Isaiah is in awe. And suddenly, in the presence of all of this, he sees himself in a new way. He recognizes his own insignificance and how inadequate he is in comparison to God's amazing presence. It reminds me a little bit of a laundry detergent commercial. And stick with me for a minute. You've probably seen these commercials. There is someone on camera saying, do you think this shirt looks red? And you think, well, yes, of course it's red. And then they say, colors fade after time if you use that other detergent. But if you use ours, and then they pull out a vibrant, vibrant red shirt, the color will hold. It's always this amazing moment when they put the vibrant red shirt next to the one that you thought was red, and you see the striking difference. 
looking at them together, you can tell that one is much more faded and bland. This is the experience Isaiah has, perhaps much like Emily described. I don't have need to confess, but then seeing the presence of God, recognizing how faded he really is, how small and unworthy and broken he is. Isaiah's confession starts with, Woe is me. I'm lost. I have unclean lips and come from a people of unclean lips. I think this is much more than just a dirty mouth or a reason for a parent to have washed out Isaiah's mouth with a bar of soap. His confession about unclean lips has to do with his being, with his character, and with the spirit that he has lived with. Isaiah might be thinking, I have said some terrible things. I have used these lips to hurt others. I have not always praised God with my words. I've not followed through on the things that I said I would do. As Jesus says later on, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out. Isaiah feels this deep in his bones and knows that it's not just true of him, but true of his friends and his family and his city and his country, that they are a people of unclean lips, a people of rebellion and idolatry and injustice, a people that have lost their way. And so he confesses. And in that moment of confession, one of the seraphs takes the coal and brings it to his mouth, purifying. And it is only then that Isaiah hears the voice of God speaking and asking, who can I send to be my messenger? And it is only then that Isaiah can say, here am I, send me. What an incredible experience of worship, isn't it? I'm sure that Isaiah would not have ever imagined what was going to happen when he went to the temple that day. Perhaps he was just going through the motions, thinking about the political and religious turmoil, thinking about his own problems and desires, but suddenly he swept up. Not necessarily in a great sermon, but in an encounter with God. Did you know that we act out this experience of Isaiah every time we come together in worship? Not necessarily with the burning coals and those specifics, but the rhythm of his worship experience is what we do week to week when we gather. The rhythm of the story of Isaiah and others in Scripture have formed the way we think about encountering God and have helped us decide what to do when we come together on Sundays. We start with praise. We sing to God. We recognize how great God's glory is. And then it brings us to a point of confession. We say a prayer of confession with each other every week. And then we're assured of God's forgiveness. And then we come to encounter God through the word. 
and we respond. Sometimes we respond through sacraments, sometimes we respond through an offering, and then we're sent out into the world. Praise, confess, forgiveness, encounter, response. Isaiah lives out true worship and shows us the way. It still informs what we do together. This order is very intentional. It's meant to shape our faith and who we are as people, and it flows for a reason. And yes, the sermon is an important part. It's, it can be central. It can be an important moment of worship, a very tangible proclamation of Jesus Christ. But maybe, sometimes, there's an element of worship that's even more important. As I read this story of Isaiah, the moment that stands out the most to me is confession. Without that woe is me, Isaiah's eagerness to serve would have been more about him than about God. That confession was the turning point. That was the true beginning of his call. I think on Sundays, we all often move through that moment of confession without a whole lot of thought. It happens at the beginning of the service, and maybe we haven't really arrived in mind and in heart quite yet, and sometimes we just go through the motions. Sometimes we might think the confession sounds a little harsh or might not fully apply to us, and we just sort of mumble along with it. But Isaiah reminds us why it's so important. The story doesn't start with God asking, who will go? The story starts with, woe is me. When we begin with confession, we can hear God in a whole new way. And if we're only looking for an inspiring sermon, then maybe there's a temptation to treat our worship like something we can consume. Something that's more about what I get out of it for me rather than what God's Spirit might be calling me toward. When we're only after the thrill of being sent into the world for causes we believe in, we miss the point. One who has confessed and been forgiven is able to hear God more clearly. And without confession, our calling becomes more like unhelpful crusading. Confession is a beautiful and important part of what we do each week and what we're called to do on our own. I also think it's one of the most misunderstood parts of worship, seen as this sort of strange guilt trip moment. And we didn't even talk about the details, but Emily framed this so well as she introduced her beautifully written confession this morning that sometimes we don't feel sorry. We don't feel like there's much to confess. As far as I know, I haven't broken any of the Ten Commandments this past week, so maybe I can take a pass. But one of the things that first drew me to the Presbyterian Church was actually what they say about confession. In this church, in this denomination, we pray these prayers corporately. 
We don't offer individual confessions in booths alone. We say them aloud with one another in the pews next to us. It's a reminder that we are all people of unclean lips, people of racism, people of unjust economic systems, people of greed. And my participation in the confession reminds me that both my action and my inaction have implications on the world. We say it with one another, and we can look around and recognize that we're in the same boat. We need to hold one another up and hold one another accountable and seek God together. The other thing I love about confession in the Presbyterian Church is that it is always tied to forgiveness. We remind ourselves that Jesus Christ has done the work of forgiving and that even before we list the things that we are confessing, our hearts are known and forgiven. I would love to imagine some of you all telling people outside of the church, oh, you should check out Fort Street. They have great confessions. Without the woe is me, Isaiah never would have gotten to here I am. Confession reminds us all that our colors have faded and we often turn the wrong way. That recognition that we're going the wrong way and the process of turning around can be painful, like a coal to the lips. Our pride might be hurt. Our emotions might be hurt. We might feel embarrassed. Preparing ourselves for service in God's name is never easy. It might feel like more of the cleansing fire than the warming one but it's an opportunity to begin fresh and to do it in the community with each other. We know and we remind ourselves week after week that we are loved and forgiven. I am a person of unclean lips. You are a person of unclean lips. And we are of a people of unclean lips. Where do you need God's fire to make a fresh start on this day? I pray that we would be people who put ourselves in contexts of worship. Places like this where we can't help but feel the awe and the inspiration of God. Still, every time I walk through these doors and look up at these amazing ceilings and the stained glass, my breath is taken away and I am reminded of the amazing God that we are here to worship. And then, in those moments, I pray that we are people who confess and know that we are forgiven so that we might listen and go where God leads. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we bring before you the confessions of our hearts, the desires of our minds, and the knowledge that you know us and love us and forgive us anyway. 
Lord, I pray that with your fire that cleanses, you would turn us around, show us the direction, and let us hear your call that we might go. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.